That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, hey, party preachers out there. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today as we get ready for the second Sunday in Lent. That was such a lame beginning, you guys, but stick with us. There's some good scripture here. Let me just stop and see how Jake is doing. I'm doing well. I- hanging in there as always. So um, we are in the season of Lent, a wonderful time, very penitential. That's a loud swallow. And um, mm. um, <laughs> and so, but Water. no, I'm doing all right. How are you? I've got a bit of a cold, so that makes my voice a little more raspy and uh, authoritative. Um, so that's a, that's a positive, but how are you doing, Aaron? I think your voice is downright compelling, Jake. I think, I think we're going to like double our listenership with your, that's right. with your smooth DJ voice. And, and you just, uh, you guys just had a build, big building project go down at St. Albans, huh? Well, not go down, go up. We, yeah, we go finished, up. we finished uh, a three year project of raising money and building a new parish hall and welcome center. It's beautiful. Congregation's excited, the community is excited, and we just can't wait to see what happens with it. So yeah, we had the big ribbon cutting and all that last night, a lot of fun, uh, and a feast, and a party. What'd you guys uh, eat? Well, so we're recording this today on Ash Wednesday, so last night was Mardi Gras, and so we had a Cajun feast. We had pancakes as well, the traditional Shrove Tuesday pancake supper. But yeah, Mm. it was gumbo, um, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was it was jambalaya, things like that. It was delicious. That's cool. Good deal. Yeah. So I had a good time, and uh, uh, so yeah. Now now I just kind of kick back and and just go back mm. to regular routine uh, <laughs> of um, just saving souls and recording podcasts. So yeah. to good. that to that end, uh, as we're in this Lenten time of cheesesteaks and chicken parm and. Uh, mm. And mm, chocolate, wings, Korean wings. I'm just trying to Maybe get you in your, in your weak spot, great. Jake. Yeah, you've got you got me on Korean wings. That's for sure. Um, I can see the drool just looking at you. It's coming through mm. the screen. Uh, but here we are. We got some great readings today. Genesis chapter 12, <laughs> Romans chapter 4, <laughs> and John it back. 3, 1 through 17. In. That's right. So here we are, second Sunday Lent. People are into it now. They're either failing uh, or succeeding at their Latin disciplines. Uh, and so these passages, they uh, are wonderfully connected. This Genesis reading is about the promise that God makes to Abram, then uh, or who will become Abraham. Then in Romans, uh, St. Paul will pick this up and talk about Abram a little bit more. And then we have one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, John 3, with the football verse, God so loved the world. Mm-hmm. Um so, and there's a real strong message of grace in all these things, which is wonderful in Lent, as we are in a season where liturgically we're doing some new things, at least at St. Albans, Waco, we're uh, reading the Decalogue <laughs> or the Ten Commandments, we're reading this thing in the prayer book called the Exhortation, which is basically get your S-H, 
blankety blank together uh, before you uh, presume to come to the Lord's table. Uh, there, there's just a lot of stuff going on where people are going to think Lent is like a time to feel really bad about yourself and berate yourself. And it's not that. It's a time to get honest. Uh, as the, the, the prayer book says, Lent is a time for self-examination. And if anybody's mm-hmm. examining themselves, they will surely find some things that they're not so happy about. So the readings this Sunday and Lent too are actually very, very gracious. Um, so let's, let's start. Genesis 12. Uh, it's a really short passage, and it's God telling Abram uh, a really simple thing. Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land. I'll show you. And uh, and you actually, this is something you pointed out to me as we were preparing for this, Jake. I had actually not noticed this before. The fact that Abram goes with his nephew, Lot, yeah. in verse 4, is actually in direct disobedience to the thing mm-hmm. that God told him to do, because he said, go from your country and your kindred, meaning leave your crazy relatives at home. Yeah, and you see this happening with um, with Abram throughout the book of Genesis. This is, uh, this is, this is the call of um, the Lord to Abram, and he's clearly, go from your country. When you first encounter this text, you're like, what the heck could I possibly preach out of this? But this is a very Lenten passage, because... It reminds um, it reminds us like our colic that uh, we've all gone astray from from the Lord's ways, and that the Lord is always bringing us back. and um, and uh, and so, but He's told to leave, and I will show you, um, uh, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I'll continue to bless those and bless you, so you can go through and describe these things. And uh, but. The beginning is, is go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And so Abraham went, and as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And what the heck is Lot doing going with Abram? You know, this. the point was, is that Abram was supposed to go through his self. And the ripple effects of this are momentous. Um, they are momentous because if you begin, if you read further in Genesis, the shepherds that work for Abram and Lot, they fight. They wind up having to divvy up the land. And Abram gives Lot the better land in the area. And then Lot moves in on over to Sodom and Gomorrah and um, gets involved there. And uh, where that city is eviscerated, yet Lot is rescued. And this is the second time that Abram has to intercede and rescue Lot. But um, Lot winds up having children with his daughters because they thought the apocalypse occurred. And uh, the descendants of them are the Moabites and the Ammonites who become like impossible enemies of the offspring of Abraham, of Israel. And so real problems. And so you see the ripple effects of this kind of disobedience. And I think when you're preaching this passage, you can see the ripple effects of our own disobedience in our own life. You know what I mean? The time we were a workaholic and neglected our child, and then 40 years later, they're in therapy because we're experiencing that. Or whatever it is, you know, I mean, I wasn't talking about me. But anyway. um, The tattoo on your lower back seemed like a good idea at the time. time. Ripple effects. Ripple effects. So ripple effects of our sin run and run through the world. And Lent is about getting honest, and so we can begin to talk about the ripple effects. Yeah. So this is actually one of those cases where the lectionary helps you here. It says you know, 
go from your kindred and then it ends with the first half of verse four. It cuts off in a way that hopefully your your listeners will hear it. Lot went with them. So this disobedient man is the one, Abram meaning, is the one through whom God is going to bless the nation. So there's a clear word of grace here. So this means that if God is going to bless Abram and the nations through him, it's going to have to be by grace, not because Abram was this great, holy, super obedient, perfect mm. uh, kind of person. So it's going to have to be through faith. His his salvation is going to have to come from something other than him being super great, because we see right here he's not super great. Mm-hmm. And so that takes us to Romans 4, where Paul makes this very thing explicit. So he's writing, Paul's writing to the Romans. He's never been to Rome yet at this point. He's getting ready to go to Rome, and so he's writing to the Christian community there to uh, introduce himself. They've heard of him already, but he wants to give his own introduction because they've probably heard some stuff that's negative about him. But he uses the opportunity to explain his whole kind of way of thinking and understanding the Christian faith. And he spends a lot of time on this idea that we are saved not by our works and not by what we do, but by the grace of God, which we just uh, we respond in faith to what God has already done for us. So yeah. uh, the the yeah the, he says. It can't be that Abraham was justified by works, as he begins, because um, uh, it's he, and he quotes Genesis. Abraham believed, Abraham believed God was reckoned to him as righteousness, and uh, and then talks in verse five. Saint Paul talks about one who, without works, trusts him who justifies the ungodly. And we've just seen in this Genesis passage where Abraham was uh, he was the ungodly that needed to be justified. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you make you make a great point there. Um, Paul has been accused quite possibly by a lot of folks in Rome of com- coming up with a new religion. This is this is the one of the accusations probably of Paul in the synagogues. And what Paul is doing here in Romans uh, chapter four is that he is making the point that, no, this actually is Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am coming with the fulfillment of Judaism, not a new religion. And this is why he says he um says, um, what does the scripture say for what does the, yeah, for what does the scripture say? So he's appealing back to Torah and the point that Abraham, uh, that Paul is making here. And it's interesting. The lectionary cuts out six through 12. Uh, those are key verses as well, but, um, um, Judaism at that time, as it has today stops essentially with Moses, it stops and it begins and ends all around Moses. And Paul is like, you can't, uh, Paul is like, you can't do that. You got to go back before that to Abraham. And then in the 6 through uh, 12 section, he speaks of David. And so he's taking these two tremendous figures of the Old Testament that are hardly ever talked about. And he's demonstrating how they are given an unconditional promise. The unconditional promise that they'd be the father of many nations and the unconditional promise that... um, that uh, that his throne would live forever. And not because they were awesome, like great guys who were just doing their best and God was doing the rest, but uh, so that um, God might um, justify the ungodly. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all descendants. And this is the interesting thing here also. Um, there is um, a, a language change in here from uh, simply the land, Abraham being given the land, to Abraham being given uh, the whole world. Um, mm. And uh, this is um, because now you and I, by faith, are declared Abraham's children. 
And so this is a very important thing. So here you see, it's not about being a model Christian. It's about being a Christian who believes the promises when they are given to you. Yeah, I mean, and Paul says a number of things in this passage that are pretty incredible for someone who was raised as a Pharisee and who was devoted to the traditions of his elders, who was just all in on Moses and the whole system, the sacrificial system, the temple, the whole thing, uh, the law, and keeping it fastidiously, perfectly. And he, when he says, uh, the in verse 15, when he says, the law brings wrath, is just an incredible thing because Paul would have been raised in a tradition that says, um, how wonderful are your statutes? They're sweeter than honey from the comb. This is the language we have in the Psalms. And this was the, mm. the typical perspective. So for Paul to write, the law brings wrath, just demonstrates how much he's completely rethought everything about how he looks at the world after his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, when he goes to in, back into Arabia to think about everything for three years. Um, he has rethought everything, and he says, now I understand the law brings wrath. The promise has to rest on grace and be guaranteed to everybody. Um, because he says, if it's going to be based on the law, um, essentially, you're not going to be saved. You're going to get your wages. And and Paul has just said in the previous chapter that uh, everybody is a sinner. And so if it's going to be by works, we're all toast. So it's going to have to be by grace. It's going to have to be by gift. Um, and so Paul rightly sees that Abraham himself was saved, not because he was so great, but because he trusted God, simply just put, he, he trusted someone other than himself. And and as you have said, Jake, in Genesis, Abraham is no Boy Scout. He just, he, he throws Sarah to the wolves, his wife, twice. Mm. Um, he lies about her to save his own skin. He here clearly, um, you know, he hedges his bets when God tells him you're going to have a child. He's like, yeah, I might have a child, but I'm also going to point Eliezer of Damascus as my heir, just in case God's plan doesn't work out. And yeah, I know, uh, I know, um, you know, God said I would have a child, but when Sarah suggests we do one anyways on our own with Hagar, uh, my servant, you know, we'll, we'll have a plan C. So, so, and even now he says, leave your kindred. He's like, I'll leave my kindred, most of them. I'll just I'll just take one of them with me. I got some, you know. He'll ride shotgun. It'll be fine. Uh, he'll na he'll navigate. Um, and so this is Abraham's mo. And so yeah, Paul's point is that we have to be saved by grace. If even our this founder of our of the of that old faith that he was raised in was someone who was not mm. super uh, adhering to the law and to God's That's commands. Right. And then so we come to this um, incredible um, passage in John chapter 3. Oh, wait, three, wait, verses... wait. Hold oh. on. I got to say one more thing. Sorry, oh, Jake. Go ahead. The, hmm? the spirit has moved me. The The thing at the end of the Romans passage, um, I think, is that last verse in that text is super preachable, um, mm. that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Because what everybody is going to find out in Lent is that they are dead. Um, mm. They're going to be giving up uh, alcohol and find themselves craving it. They're going to be, mm. uh, giving up TV and find themselves jonesing to Netflix. They're going to, um, take on a prayer discipline that they fail miserably at doing. And so they're going to feel very dead. And, uh, many, many Christian people are from a tradition that tells them God loves you, forgives you and saves you, but you got to do your part. And, um, which is not the same faith as what we see here, where God is the one who doesn't help the good. He gives life to the dead. 
And so if in Lent you're figuring out that you're dead, well, welcome to the club. As Robert Farrar Capon says, if you find out you're dead, well, you're just God's cup of tea because this is what he does. <laughs> That's a good one. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. So Paul here is drawing on earlier in Genesis, God speaking things into existence, just the verbal act of his word, which, you know, sets you up amazingly for what happens in John 3, the next thing, because... Jesus in this conversation with Nicodemus is going to call into existence things that do not exist, um, or the text will when it says, God so loved the world and he came not to condemn but to save. So this giving life to the dead, if you find out that you're dead, well, good, because that's what Len is for, and you've come to a God who resurrects the dead. Not who's, who, not who rescues the sort of almost drowning, but not quite drowned yet, you know? Yeah, that's right. All right, so the next time you hear a preacher preach a semi-Pelagian message, just stand up and say, that was a heresy that's been condemned, and then walk mm. out and go to Calvary St. George's. Yeah. That's not what they said on Same Old Song. <laughs> ah, I'm taking my pledge and I'm leaving. No, dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Your, your um, preacher's a fragile, fragile person. He is, yeah. Or she. That's right, Jake. I'm glad I didn't have to correct you on that. Um, so here we are on John chapter three, verses one through seventeen, and um, you know, there's just there's a lot going on here. Jesus is engaging this rabbi named Nicodemus, or a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, so a big deal. And they're meeting at night, and that's very significant uh, because Nicodemus is like, "I'm into you, but I don't want people to know that I'm into you." So we're meeting at night. And uh, he opens up by flattering Jesus, saying, you know, we, you're doing all these great things. And, um, and Jesus just isn't going to have it. The one thing I think I would hit on is that there's this language of born again or born from above um, in, the, um, in the text here. And one thing you really want to hit on is that the born again language has been co-opted in our country. Um, as a like almost like a political statement, but to be a Christian is to be born again. Mm. Um, that is that is something you want to assure and retake that word back for your congregation. If you have been baptized, if you are um, a Christian, you are a you were born again. Those two things are synonymous. No one is a Christian unless they have been born from above by water, aka baptism, and the Spirit. That promise that comes through water, which creates faith within us to believe God, uh, despite what we see, like Abraham is the father of many nations. Yeah, and and I think uh, this this language of born again, it, as you're right, Jake, it has been co-opted, and it is heard to it just calls to mind Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. It makes yeah. people think of televangelists. It makes people think of their weird neighbor that used to be cool, but now is like giving them Bibles and stuff. The The idea of being born again is just, a, it means your life before is over and you are now something completely different. You were a person that was dead and now you're a person that is alive. Um, it just, it's Jesus using a figure of speech to try to explain um, or, or, or make clear or illustrate the total profound, complete change that it, that comes um, from putting your faith in Christ. And, and it, it's another way of talking about the change that Paul was talking about in Romans, whether you, you go from someone who, who works for wages under a system of law versus somebody who receives salvation as a yeah. gift under a system of grace and, yeah. and faith. And so it's, it's totally different. It's going through the world in option A, neurotic, anxious, afraid, 
angry, resentful, confused, deceptive to oneself and others, and worried that you're going to be found out that you're not altogether, versus knowing you are loved, being at peace, resting in who you are and who God is. And, and you know, is the catchphrase of Calvary St. George that we've totally stolen at St. Albans Waco, enjoy your forgiveness. Like that's the kind of life that that we're, it means to be born again, to go from old way of life to a new way of life, from a dark yeah. situation to a light situation. And Jesus is saying, you can't just come to Nicodemus to get some like advice, to get yeah. some suggestions, to get some pithy spiritual nuggets of wisdom that you can put on an inspirational poster or a bumper sticker or an Instagram post. Like what you what you what needs to happen for you, Nicodemus, is that you have to be born again. You have to be totally new. This is not a, a marginal incremental kind of change. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. He takes it very literally. How can I be how can I go back inside my mother's womb? And he's like, no, no, no. This is a spiritual thing. Um, water and the spirit is how you have to be born. So yeah. This and that is, born yeah. again, th- that born again thing is it's 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 a reality. Just like Abraham, this is why he's the father of many nations, uh, the father of you and I, is because he was you know past his prime, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he is called and told this land is going to be yours. Um, you're going to be the father of many. This is something that isn't necessarily seen right away. And uh, you being born again, that is a reality that is received completely by faith. Like you were talking about earlier in the Romans passage, this is the God who um, gives life to the dead. Because before, just just being born out of your mother's womb, on a profound level, to um, quote that iced tea rock band, you're born dead. Mm. And uh, it is, but with with the water and the spirit, uh, God calls into existence that thing that doesn't exist, and that is... You being one born again, you being born from above. Prior to that, you're just dust, baby. I, and um, that's yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just have to note here, uh, dear listeners, that Jake is referring to the brief and glorious period of time in which Ice T, the rapper, who we all know now as the detective on Law and Order SVU, um, was for a brief period of time in a punk rock band. And I just praise yeah. God that Jacob Smith knows about that and that, that, that band. That band technically was called Body Count. Yes, it was. And um, the very first album, they had this crazy, crazy cover of this like gang. Do you remember Jacked Gangster? And it said, yes. um, it said something very inappropriate on the chest and they had to change it and get rid of the album cover because it was so controversial. Yeah, it, across anyway, the chest, it was it said Salvation by Works. And so they had right. to- yeah, no, it. salvation by grace alone. And that and was then too everybody, controversial. Yeah, that was too controversial. <laughs> and so they changed. There's somebody who's actually going to believe us on that. But anyway, um, uh, but he had Anyways. this great, the second, the second song, the second album, he had a song called Born Dead. And um, anyway, that's, that's what happens to us until we are born from above. And so um, you must be born again, as Jesus says. And uh, Nicodemus totally doesn't get it. And this is the interesting thing that Jesus then nails him on. He says, like, and you're a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I mean, this is how I sometimes feel when I'm talking to colleagues. Um, You know, like, seriously, you really think that, like, just organizing something? Never mind, I'm going to drop that. But anyway, the point is, is that it's Ash Wednesday. I'm a little grouchy. He almost anyway, damaged your career there, Jake. I know. Well, that's already been tarnished. Pulled you but anyway, back from the brink. All the right. point is, is that he says, you know, very, um, he says, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. And then Jesus goes in. He, like you said, you're not coming to me for advice. 
I'm not the divine advice giver. Mm. I'm your savior. And he says, very, very, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. And he says, if I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Yep. And this is where he gets at the point that like, man, all of the Old Testament and listen, Christians, like the Old Testament is about Jesus. Jesus gives validity to the Old Testament. That is our position. You can have an ecumenical dialogue all you want with folks um, and, you know, and be like, isn't that great? But the, the Christian position is that the Old Testament is about Jesus. And he's saying that like this is it has always been about faith. It has always been about being born again and believing that a Messiah would come and save you and the whole world. Uh, That is the whole point of Moses lifting up the serpent. The very thing you don't want to look at, the very thing you think is a joke is the very thing that you are will save you. And if you realize you're dead, then you're my cup of tea. As yeah, you just said. yeah, that's right. Thank you. Uh, calling back uh, Robert Capon. So the the thing about the snake. So there's a lot. Let, let us let us help you, um, listener, to know what's going because because John is just uh, uh, throwing a lot of things at us here that he assumes that we know, and 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 maybe some of some of you don't. Maybe some of your congregation don't. So um, the. Jesus here is referring to a story in um, in the Hebrew scriptures where uh, in Numbers 21, actually, where Moses, uh, the, the people of Israel, uh, they disobey God. They're, there's a bunch of snakes that invade their camp. It's very Indiana Jones, uh, like under the pyramids. All these snakes show up and start biting people. People start dying. And so they plead, and what Moses does is he puts, he makes a bronze snake and puts it up on a stick. And if people look at the snake, they are healed. And it's a way of saying you have to look at the thing that kills you. You have to acknowledge the reality of your situation. You have to honestly face what's there. Come out of denial, and uh, and that is the path of salvation. And so. Uh, we have to look at Christ. We have to look at the one who's lifted up. We have to look at the one who's crucified. We have to see his wounds and know uh, that he has given himself for us and trust that he is the one who lives the righteous life that we could not. He is the one that gives himself as a sacrifice for us. We look at him with the wounds that we have inflicted upon him. And and in doing so, we receive life. So that's the story in Numbers 21 that, that John is uh, putting here. Uh, for us to read, and this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus: that you have to, you have to look at Jesus not as, as we've said, the advice giver. You have to look at Jesus as the one who's lifted up, uh, the one who is crucified for you. You have to look at Jesus as your Savior, the one who will take everything that was before, that was dead, and and make you totally new. Um, and then we get these incredible verses and verses 16 and 17 and you and I Jake are we're totally on the same page as this we're we're more 17 guys than 16 guys 16 is great and true and wonderful it's the one we all know from the football game posters but John 3:17 is this incredible statement God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world which is what most people think most people think that Christianity the church is about condemnation and he says that's mm-hmm. not the point that's not why I'm here I'm here to save to save people. it that's yep. right and that, I Amen. think that's so. As people are getting honest about their lives, um, I think one of the things, uh, if if I were to be preaching this, is to say, um, uh, as Jesus says, 
basically no one knows God except the Son. That's what he says in verse 13. No one's ascended in heaven except the one who's descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So no one knows what they're talking about except Jesus. Everybody else is going to say you have to work harder to get better. That's Nicodemus' system. And what Jesus is saying, no, I've been to heaven. I am God and I know what's up. And what's up is that you need to look at me as a savior. You need to move from death to life. You need to be reborn. You need to, everything that before was dead, you need to be made alive. It's not incremental, moderate behavioral changes that will make you better. It's it's from death <clears throat> to life. Yeah. And, you know, and the truth is, is that all of the do that we do, you know, it all has <laughs> ripple effects, you know, it all has ripple effects like bringing lot along. Oh, it's <laughs> no big deal. Mm. You know, it is, it is a big deal and it has ripple effects. And, you know, in our great, our confession, which is really important, you know, uh, forgive us those things in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and left undone, those things known and unknown. It's the undone and the unknown that you really, I mean, that's your problem. Mm. And, you know, when you begin to think about it, I mean, that just becomes a condemning situation. And this is where uh, that kills you. And this is where the word of life becomes so important. This is where the gospel, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you. He's actually come into the world to say, quit doing and uh, live in some done. And, um, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and when you live in some done, man, you get born again. That's right. Well, how does how does that work? Let me just tell you, it's, you're going to be brand new. Yeah. Um, Receive it by faith. And, and so it's just yeah. this beautiful thing. The thing that people are going to say in your congregation, that they want you to tell them what to do. And the thing is, if they're still doing, it means they're not dead yet. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, what I always want to tell people is like, okay, we can try your plan of getting better in small increments over time. And now you're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. Are you better? How long have you known that you're an obnoxious hoarder? How long have you known that you have an anger issue? How long have you known that you're sort of superficial and self-absorbed? How long have you known that you make inappropriate jokes at parties? Like, have you stopped doing any of those things? Are you going to get better by your 75th birthday? How long is it going to take? And this is when people begin to realize, oh, I guess I am dead. Um, I, I, re- right. I, don't, I don't care about the environment. I, I don't – I secretly – uh, use a ton of styrofoam. You know, That's all these awesome. things you, you got to help your people see that they're not better yet. So mm. clearly, because people are going to be uh, iffy about this born again language, it's going to make them nervous. And you say, okay, that's fine. Maybe you don't want it, but and you want to keep trying to get better on your own. But are you? And if you're not, then maybe you do, maybe you are dead and you do need to be born again. You need a complete do over. There, th- There's a great statement from the old guys at AA, and they used to say, um, my bless, best plans got me here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Everything so seemed like true. a good idea at the time. And now I'm in a church basement drinking weak coffee, uh, talking about my my alcoholism and my blackouts. Yep. Yep. My best plans got me here. And so, um, <laughs> and this is what makes being born again, born from above, such good news. Mm. And uh, such good news. Um so um, give them give him some mercy, everybody, because we all need it during the season of Lent and every day of our life. <clears throat> That's right. From death to life. Uh, may that be the message from your lips, from the pulpit, wherever you're preaching, dear preacher. And um, that's all we got for Lent 2. Have fun, y'all. Bye-bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.